The Cinematologists, episode 143, Cannes Film Festival 2022. In this episode, Neil takes the opportunity, afforded by a visit to Cannes 2022, to record a diary of some film screenings and some goings-on at the world's largest film festival. He's joined by the critic, John Bleasdale, academic and film producer, Kingsley Marshall, and the director and star of Ennis Main, Mark Jenkin and Mary Woodvine. Elsewhere, Neil and Dario talk about the weirdness that is can and the bubble that can build at film festivals. And they also take time to acknowledge some recent positive comments from followers of the podcast. On with the show. Welcome to the Cinematologist Podcast. I'm Dario Linares, and with me, of course, back from his can jaunt, is, of course, the fantastic Neil Fox. How are you doing, Neil? I'm very well. It's lovely to be back in England and talking to you about movies, and I'm not even just saying that. It's genuinely true. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Because it's like, I mean, you know, you hear that the, there are sort of the privileged reaction to can where people are moaning about it it's like oh god got to go to can you know there are certain film critics that like see it as a chore but um you know you've got to kind of embrace it it's like you know berlin and you know some of the other places that that we've been you've got to get into the spirit of what it is and did you find yourself you know uh i don't know dandying up and down the croissette in your uh, in your suit with a you know with a scarf on or something like that well, it wasn't scarf weather, um, that's for sure. <laughs> right. But uh, every, everything, I was dandying. I was dandying yes. around. Um, yeah, I, I think that's right. It's What's strange about it is that it is a bubble, you know? Yeah. So I think a lot of the problem is that social media is there, you know, and people just sort of fire stuff out. And But the reality is it's they actually make it really hard to see stuff, particularly if you're a critic, I think. And okay. it's it's busy, you know, like... What's really yeah. surprised me was how much of it is an audience festival because I assumed it was just industry, but France being France and being you know La Cinefilia Centrale, indeed, um, people come from all over and they want to see films. You know, so there's a huge audience presence. So it's it's so busy and it's absolutely rammed. And I found that really exciting, but that was largely because my responsibility there was was I wasn't on deadline, you know, and although I was there with a film, I wasn't. The director yeah. of that film you know so i wasn't in press all the time so i just i i was able to just really enjoy it and i t- tried to make the most of that um by seeing some films and having a swim and trying to get into beach parties which was successful a couple of times so that was nice <laughs> yeah so what's your i mean you say that you were there with the film just so that the audience knows you're you're kind of connected to mark jenkins new film ennis main so what's your sort of li- link to that 
tenuous. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> Reflected glory. Felt tenuous. Yeah, that's what I said. That's what I did say. I was there, just basking in his glow. Um, no, I'm an uh, I'm an associate producer on the film, and I lead the Sound Image Cinema Lab, which is sort of the university's production and research and teaching arm for film. And we were a production partner on the film, an equity partner. So basically I was there to talk about what that is and how it works and how we work with Mark and Denzel in Cornwall to facilitate the kind of films that Mark wants to make. Um, it was the first time we'd really been at that scale and that was largely because of Bait. Bait sort of allowed us to formalise so much of the stuff we've been doing for years like Wilderness and, and other films we've talked about on the podcast. So yeah, I was there in an official capacity um, uh, but, but the, you know, can be and can. It's, it's an auteurist festival so um all the focus was on mark um and to a degree mary woodvine the lead actress because she's she's pretty much the only character in the film for for huge huge swathes of it um so yeah it was nice to sort of go and represent the university and represent the film and represent sort of cornish filmmaking which was really nice awesome and and it's really because of bay in probably largely but, you know, you have had Wilderness Out and other production short films and, and what have you. The lab has really become a, th- become a thing, really. I mean, that's a terrible way to put it. But it's like, you know, it's known now. And, you know, there's that sense of that th- there are films coming out of, of there. And that's quite, you know, I, I don't think you should sort of undersell, not that you do, you know, <laughs> how important that is, especially in terms of the, the, the idea that it does sort of provide a... A, a testing ground for new talent when it comes to working with the students but also that you know for want of a better word proper films come out yeah no absolutely i think and i appreciate that because i think that you know sometimes i can be a little bit yeah sort of i can undersell it you know um and i think that yeah bait bait exploded what we were doing you know we were kind of on a trajectory and we'd we'd been involved with Mark's films sort of dating back to 2011 in the school, but then sort of Bronco's House and 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 Bait, we were sort of more involved than than previously, and that was around the time of Wilderness and Claire Oakley's makeup, and Bait kind of shone a light on what we were doing and allowed us to formalise the lab and allow us to yeah sort of be in this position where we can we can take finance or we can sort of take take an equity stake in stuff so that any investment that we're making on behalf of the students which is that's where the, that's what the money is for and sort of graduate access um can be returned into it so it's it's kind of marks allowed us to sort of be self-sufficient in that sense by just being really successful um which yeah. is is kind of amazing really and you know the the one of the interesting things about this was you know that that ennis main has put us in the room with the people who want to work with mark and have worked with mark on this film and we were able to spend time talking about it and I was able to say what it actually is that we do. And you can sort of see people's faces like it's kind of amazing that, you know, this is there are students working on this film and that, you yeah. know, that it's it's rooted in this in this, you know, that's post-production at the university and things like that. And it's just people can't quite believe it. Um, but the proof is on the screen, you know, um, yeah. Yeah. and it has yeah. it has shone a light on other stuff, you know, so we're able to promote other films like Brett Harvey's Long Way Back you know as a lab project and like you say people are starting to know this name and um and sort of see it on the start of films and it they're they're not student films and that's no disrespect to student films but that's not the purpose of the project at yeah. all so that's really exciting great so this episode is 
No, not not similar to your your episode around the um, Bill Douglas Museum, but it is a Neil on tour <laughs> episode, for want of a better word. And and <laughs> you know, it's uh, it, it's always good fun when we do these festival episodes. I mean, obviously the the, the Berlin ones that we do um, in, or have done in the past have had this kind of flavour of dropping in and out, you know, shorter interviews and having little chats here and there. So this is in that ilk or of that ilk, should I say? Um, so, who can we expect to hear talking to to you? So, talking to me in this episode are John Bleasdale, the writers on film host and film critic, who's covering Cannes for a variety of outlets, including uh, Sight and Sound, and uh, Mark Jenkin and Mary Woodvine. Um, just before they came back on the on on the Sunday night, I think just the night before that they left they left Cannes, and then Kingsley Marshall who was with me um, and sort of works at the university in the lab and is familiar to uh, sort of listeners of the podcast. Um, it was weird. I tried to I tried to meet other people um, and it was weird because before I went, I had a list of about sort of five or six people who said that, you know, sort of critics who said that um, they'd be happy to meet up and then sort of trying to contact them over the course of being there. It just, it didn't quite work out a couple of times and, and I just got to the point I thought, I, they really don't want me to ask you know um we'll probably talk about this at the end but but critics seemed really harried um uh, not having okay. not having the that's best interesting time. so yeah so some so some people that that i tried to meet just were just kind of just it just didn't work out in terms of timings so yeah there's um there's only a, there's only sort of three interviews and then me yeah on tour darting around and sort of trying monologuing. to catch monologuing and catching a sense of the films that i saw and also what the he- what the hell was going on <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, we'll get into that shortly. But just quickly, a shout out to a follower on social media on Twitter called Chintan Nanavanti. And just just to say thank you to them for their, their, for their comment um, on Twitter and their uh, praise of the podcast and their support. Um, we really appreciated what you said. They, they kind of summed up what we think the podcast is or what we'd like it to be at its best. And, you know, without any kind of solicitation or just sort of captured what we try to do in the sort of film podcast space, you know, um, sometimes more successfully than others, you know, in our own sort of self, self-depreciative attitude, hopefully. Um, but yeah, just just thank you uh, for that that comment because it, it really does help with the, the the spread of the podcast when, you know, social media is is not actually what it used to be sort of three or four years as a, as a kind of platform for sharing your content it's become more and more difficult because of because of algorithms and what have you but when somebody makes a comment and allows us to respond to that comment and we can get into a dialogue about whether it's about a film or about the about a particular episode or or whatever it might be it really does help with the visibility so yeah that was really nice wasn't it Neil yeah it was really lovely um and again it's so nice when listeners respond to the podcast, you know, in in the way we see it, which sounds a bit odd, really. But you know, like we we we're trying to do something that that's sort of specific to us and 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 what we like and what we want to do and and how we how we like to talk about film and how we like to sort of present things. So when people kind of get that, and I think you said like you know, thanks for getting it, which I think is is really nice. You know, it's. It's always nice to get positive feedback, but when 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 people sort of understand what we're trying to do, it is it is really rewarding. Great. 
and also just a, another sort of uh, nice response was from uh, Suzanne Ferris uh, about the Sophia Coppola episode who sort of really enjoyed that and sent us a lovely message uh, via the website about about it and I think Suzanne's got a book coming out um, uh, about Coppola soon so we'll, we'll sort of flag that up when it comes out um, and also should note um, a quick apology I did forget that when I mentioned that Melody Bridges had been on the podcast to talk about Coppola before um, I didn't mention that Anna Batman Rogers had been on as well and obviously she came on to talk about Coppola in the past as well so apologies to Anna for for missing her it was a it was not an intentional mistake um, but uh, yeah we've, we, we have kind of we've had some really great people on talking about Coppola in a variety of ways and I'm sort of you know glad that that Suzanne who's also kind of in this area uh, enjoyed what, what what the episode that we put out and I look forward to that book great so let's get into it. This is Neil doing the Can Tour. Please enjoy. It's about half twelve at night. I have just unpacked in my apartment in Cannes, and I should have been here about eight or nine hours ago, but a combination of not traveling for a couple of years and just general, I guess, nerves or anxiety or let's just call it what it is, plain stupidity, meant I missed my connecting flight at Gatwick. So I flew from Newquay to Gatwick and it was fine. And then we were supposed to fly from Gatwick to Nice and we just missed the flight. And still don't really know why or how, a combination of things, mostly just, yeah, not paying enough attention. And, yeah, and there was a moment there where we thought, oh, uh, I'm not going to be able to make it. But we found another flight out of London City Airport. And so we raced across London after we managed to get our bags retrieved. Raced across London to London City Airport and we picked up a five o'clock flight from there. And then we flew into Frankfurt and then we waited and then we flew from Frankfurt to Nice. And then we got picked up at Nice Airport and brought to our apartment, which I think is close to the centre of Cannes, but it's hard to tell because it's dark. And I've been up since 4.30am and I'm, I'd had about an hour sleep before <laughs> I got up at 4.30am yesterday. So yeah, I was supposed to see the new film from Anna Rose Holmer tonight i had a ticket for that and she directed the fits which i really liked and but i didn't see that so i've not seen any films i have seen maybe i've seen about an hour and a half of west side story on my ipad the new one um i'm gonna probably try and catch the rest of that before i go to sleep and yeah it's not the start to the festival that i thought so yeah, interesting. It can only get better from here. Um, I'm looking forward to getting up early and sort of finding my way around. I know there's a lot of people stuck in Paris because of some crazy lightning that hit some, some some crazy lightning that hit a track. Um, so I know Mark Jenkins is stuck in Paris tonight and his team and a lot, a lot of friends from the BFI stuck there as well. So yeah, weird a weird day travel wise um but yes tomorrow is another day so yes i hopefully tomorrow i will have a more film related update um one weird thing though is when we got to gatwick um there were a lot of 
Rangers fans, Rangers football fans, connecting um, at Gatwick to go back up to Glasgow. And Rangers, on the Wednesday night, had played in Seville in the Europa Cup final against Eintracht Frankfurt. So in the morning, I saw a lot of fans who were subdued and not very happy because they'd lost. And then tonight, weirdly, I ended up in Frankfurt where the opposition fans had returned home triumphantly and were in much better spirits. And if you'd have told me that I've seen both sets of fans from a cup final in the same day in two different countries, uh, neither of which country was where the game was played, I would say that's weird. But today was a weird day. So onwards and upwards. Can, I shall see you in the morning. So it's Friday. It's about just gone one o'clock and we are ready to leave the apartment and walk the 15 minutes to the Quasette for the premiere of Ennis Main, which we're really excited about, obviously. Um, I'm really excited about that. It's been a lovely morning. I have, yeah, sort of just, I picked up my pass and got my bearings, had a wander around, bumped into a couple of people that I know, including uh, my friend Atso from Finland, who uh, I know from Filmstock, who volunteered when he was a student at University of Bedfordshire a long time ago so literally bumped into him on the Quasette which was very nice and we had a nice catch up and hopefully have another one before I leave. Um, bumped into Hannah Strong coming out of the new Mia Hansen Lowe uh, which I didn't see uh, but she had um, and said hello to her and yeah picked picked up some tickets for some stuff so I'm going to see quite a few things now which is good because I was a bit worried that I would only see maybe one thing apart from Ennis Main. Um, which would be fine, obviously, because I'm here with that film rather than f- as press. But I do want to see some stuff. So I've got some good stuff lined up that I'll be letting you know about. But for now, yeah, I'm going to go and meet the NS main team and enjoy the world premiere as part of Director's Fortnight. So, yeah, nervous. Nervous for Mark. Nervous for Denzel, who produced it. Um, hope it goes well. They've had a mission getting here, but they are now here. So looking forward to seeing them. And, yeah, I will... Check in later to let you know what's going on. Um, yeah. 2 a.m. Can Balcony. And we've just walked back from Silencio, which is a nightclub uh, next to the Palais de Cinema. And we wanted to go because Silencio, David Lynch. Um, but it was a bit crap. It's just a nightclub with Silencio plastered everywhere. Uh, but it was fun. But it wasn't Lynchian in any way. It was just a nightclub in Paris. Uh, it was just a nightclub uh, in Cannes. <laughs> and yeah, so that was how we ended the night. And what a day it has been. So uh, the last time I checked in, I was headed to the premiere of Ennis Main. And... I was yeah fortunate enough to sit next to Mary Woodvine, who's the star of the film, and Mark for the screening. And it went down really well in the room. If the reviews have been amazing. It was it was just it was so incredible to see him on the stage and talking about this film and to have followed him for twenty years of his career and to see how he's grown as a filmmaker and is now on this world stage and obviously as listeners will know we've 
covered his work since Bronco's house on the podcast. We were not around before to do so and covered bait ex- extensively. And yeah, this is even more incredible and so deserved. And the film is amazing. And yeah, I can't wait to to talk to him about it. I'm going to catch him at some point this weekend for a quick chat on the pod. So later in the episode, there should be that to look forward to. And then, yeah, he'll be back on the podcast at some point to talk more extensively about the film. Um, yeah, later in the year when it's when it's released. So, yeah, so it's, I think it's uh, Friday night, 2 a.m., few hours sleep and then tomorrow I'm watching a film that's not the film I'm here with so that will be fun it's the new Patricio Guzman uh, film I can't remember the title of it but it's Guzman who I'm a big fan of so I'm looking forward to that and then before that I'm going to swim in the sea and I'm going to see some friends including past podcast including past podcast guests James Dean and Carl Hunter so I might try and catch catch a few minutes with them to see what they've been up to here at Cannes and yeah I will I will check in again later but it's been an incredible day and yeah an honour really to be here with with Mark and Mary and Denzel and the team uh, behind Ennis Main and yeah we went to we had dinner at the Film 4 Villa and I was talking to someone from the sales agent protagonist and he said what was dinner like and I said well when you grow up loving movies and you hear about Cannes, you 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 imagine that there are these elaborate dinners with tiny plates of food and you don't know what the food is. And, you know, if you're like me from Luton, you're just like a bit scared of the food they put in front of you. Um, and you, it's in this kind of opulent villa run by a film company for two weeks who've taken it over at the biggest film festival in the world and... You kind of waited on hand and foot and yeah that's what it was like so it was weird you know and it was strange and I never thought I would ever be at this festival in any capacity um, and yet here I am with a good friend many good friends actually um, enjoying the work of an incredible filmmaker and having ridiculous tiny food that I don't know what it is um, so that happened. So that was a can memory that will be there forever. Um, but what was the nicest part of the day, I think, was just after the screening, just hanging out with the people that we came with and just chatting. Um, yeah. So more soon. Thanks for listening to my rambles from a very hot, sticky, muggy balcony in Cannes. I know. Woe is me. Back at the apartment after breakfast with James Dean. So long, long time listeners of the podcast will know James Dean from the Tony Monero episode where Dario picked the screening of Tony Monero, the Pablo Lorraine film, and uh, James Dan was James Dean was down at Falmouth giving a guest lecture. So I roped him into joining me on stage for a conversation. And uh, yeah, very fond memories of having that film introduced to me via the podcast and yeah if you can track the episode down it's very very early um it's a fun one as me and james wrestle with what we've just seen which is quite bizarre um i did not talk to james for the pod uh we just had breakfast and then uh i was going to kind of 
I was going to bring the recorder out and try and get a few minutes. Um, and then another of his friends turned up, who turns out is a producer on the Ruben Oslin film, which is premiering tonight. So a very can moment, um, as, as, as I, I'm, I keep being told. These are, oh, these are can moments. Um, and they do seem to be, because um, they haven't happened to me anywhere else in my life at any other time. So they must be can moments, because it was a moment that happened in can about 20 minutes ago. So I did not pull it out of the bag and ask for some tape uh, so I'm a bad podcaster in that sense but uh, yes I am off to have a swim I'm going to catch up with John Bleasdale of the Writers on Film podcast and hopefully hopefully the 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 tape recorder will make its way out of the bag then and then I'm going to go for a swim and yeah and I've just picked up a ticket for the Mia Hansen Lowe film tonight at 10:45 so I'm very excited about that and yeah I'm looking forward to looking forward to that um yeah so two films today and i'll be talking about something else other than me enjoying the sun in can which i know everyone uh, is desperate to hear uh, to stop me prattling on it is a french word are you recording i am recording now oh, but okay. I, can, I will edit so it's fine no um, leave it raw man leave it raw like your steak that you just had for lunch very nice steak tartare, steak tartare. uh yeah so hello john hello neil uh yeah, thanks for thanks for spending lunch with me. It was really nice to see you in real life. It was great. So you have we worked out this is your tenth can. Uh, I'm not sure if it's a tenth or ninth in ten years. Moonrise Kingdom was the uh, okay. was the first film I ever saw at can. Uh, Wes Anderson, and Old. that was I think ten years ago. So that's how I've worked it out. Yeah. Wow. Uh, what do you like about can? Um, I love that it's a film festival that really mixes the worlds of uh, cinema. So you have the business, you have the, the commercial, you have the selling, you have the creatives, you have the people who actually make the films here, um, drumming up money for the next projects or, or just exhibiting what they've just done. And then you have the critics, you have people like me, um, you know, sitting back and in the space of two hours pronouncing on what has taken several years for everyone else to make. <laughs> Um, and it's and it's great. And you also have the audiences. You have you know genuine fans, genuine cinephiles. Uh, it's a great culture, and it's and, and it doesn't hurt that it's on the Côte d'Azur in May. No, that's true. And I've actually been really surprised by the amount of like yeah general cinephile audiences that seem to be going to things. Like it feels it feels like more of an audience festival than I led to believe that it was this big industry thing, which it is. But it's also it's also just people watching movies. Absolutely, the always you always see the um, the old couples who come along and, and have their cinephile badges, their cineast badges, yeah, yeah. and you'll have every now and again there'll be like a gr- group that's obviously coming from schools, and they're going in and seeing some of these movies as well, and, and responding to them, and they're seeing stuff that is coming from all over the place. So. It, in that sense, it's a real meeting up of, of different sections of society and different parts of the world in, in a way that I think is, especially in a time like this, absolutely stupendous. Yeah. And what, how do you find the, the kind of the, the critic life? Because obviously it's like watch a film, file a film. Like, you know, it's, I mean, it's a woe is me thing. Like you say, we're in this beautiful place. But, but there is a kind of tension to getting the words out when you've seen a film like is that something that you struggle with or you know you enjoy in any way well I, i'm i'm blessed by um very low quality control so i can <laughs> i can turn stuff around very very quickly but yeah no you're absolutely right the fact that you have to do this you might file two or three uh reviews a day you're watching three four five films a day uh and it, you, you become very muddy you're not you're not 
you, you kind of get match fit by halfway through the festival, I think. But um, at the be beginning, it's really tough. And by the end, it's very difficult also to sort of avoid um, just using templates and just sort of saying, uh, you know, okay, uh, opening idea, synopsis, what's the name of the cinematographer, what's the name <laughs> of the composer, and, and away we go. Yeah. Um, I mean, I resolve this usually by... Um, cutting and pasting most of everything I write from Hollywood Reporter <laughs> and just mix, mixing the words around so yeah. they can't recognise it. Uh, good tip for anyone out there just starting out to uh, approach it. Um, so who are you writing for here and what have, you, what have you seen so far? I'm writing, I'm freelancing and writing mainly for uh, Cineview, Cineview.com and also for... Um, uh, uh, Sight and Sound. I've done a couple of reviews for them already that should be up on the site. And what have I seen so far? Well, I saw a lot of the early films were, were very free starty, if you like. Yeah. the French remake of uh, One Cut of the Dead, uh, which was which was okay if you haven't seen the original. But if you've seen the original, you really don't need to bother. Um, Tchaikovsky's Wife, which is again free star, really interesting bits but a film that bizarrely dispenses with the music of Tchaikovsky when it's a film that's, you know, yeah. centred on the Russian composer. Um, and I don't know if that's try an attempt to avoid cliché, but it, t it feels like me... I can hear a baby being thrown out with the bathwater yeah, yeah. at that point. Um, more positively, I've seen uh, Corsage, which was a, a really good sort of... Um, Kind of, kind of one of the, this new genre of films where we take a female royal figure like Diana in Spencer and we make them into a sort of counter-cultural um, figure of sort of feminist resistance and female identity. It's utter bullshit, obviously, <laughs> um, but it's kind of fun, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and Vicky Creeps, or Crips, or Crips, or Crepes? Creeps, I would Creeps, say. Yeah, okay, is superb in it. She's absolutely wonderful. Yeah. I love, I love her. I love her anyway. And in this, she really gets, she rules the film as effectively as CC ruled the Austrian-Hungarian Empire. Yeah. Fab. Well, uh, yeah, really lovely to catch up with you, and thanks for joining us on the pod. No, it's brilliant. Thank you, Neil. Patricio Guzman just makes the most beautiful films. Uh, I just love his work so much. His latest, which is My Imaginary Country, looks at the 2019 youth rebellion in Chile and the subsequent rewriting of the Constitution. And he just has this amazing ability to take the subjective, which is his own personal story. And in this one, he's really leaning into his kind of past filmmaking and talking about himself as a filmmaker and his past work and but also the personal, the stories of the people that kind of make up the participants in his films. The national, the story of Chile, and then the, well, the universal in many respects in terms of the pearl button and nostalgia for the light, but just this kind of sense that there are fundamental things at play in humanity and human existence all over the world. It's an incredible film. The footage of the riots and the uprising is the footage of the uprising is astonishing beautiful in part you know really kind of defiant and hopeful and yeah it's it's a really hopeful film and it feels kind of necessary oh 
so yeah I'm opposite the uh, helicopter airfield where obviously they take people to the Quasette maybe I don't know it's uh, pretty noisy um, I'm at a cinema on the outskirts a big multiplex but uh, really beautiful screen really comfy and yeah just it's a I'm so glad that I've I've seen uh, another of his films at a festival on the big screen I just he's such an incredible filmmaker who I really admire what's beautiful about this is it's a story about women and it's only women in, interviewed in the film and it doesn't feel tokenistic or I mean women have always been a part of his cinema certainly in the last few films but this feels right and proper without being in any way sort of box ticking it's really beautiful and the stories are beautiful and just the construction of it the way he weaves in these little motifs and ideas is just he makes these really beautiful works about really harrowing and difficult subjects and his latest one is no exception I loved it and now I'm going to try and get a car back to the centre uh, on the way up here I got a car I got an Uber and um, my Uber driver was uh, here with his he runs a bodyguard company and he's got five members of staff who are all bodyguards and they're all off bodyguarding and he was Uber driving to make some more money and he's obviously making a fortune um, but that was that was cool but the coolest thing was that he was a um, he plays for Saint-Étienne football team in the B team as well uh, in the sort of the reserves uh, which was just wonderful um, yeah so hopefully I'll have an interesting anecdote from my journey back into the centre of Cannes Earlier on, we heard from John Bleasdale. Thank you again, John, for chatting to me as we wandered from lunch to the Palais. And, yeah, after... So after the Patricio Guzman screening, I got back into Cannes Central and met with the Ennis main team for a little get-together. And then I met up with my friend Carl Hunter, who listeners may remember from the Sometimes or Was Never episode a couple of years ago when that came out, who's over here with doing some meetings and doing some stuff. And yeah, I didn't see him long enough to get his sort of uh, contribution to the podcast, but I'm hoping to see him tomorrow. So maybe I'll grab five minutes with him then. And yeah, then I went to a very weird party, which was not my scene at all. And I keep saying that it sounds so pretentious but it is true like just really everything that's wrong with the film industry in this room really for me and I just hated it uh, but the view was incredible uh, from the terrace of this hotel so you know that was really lovely um, and then we yeah sort of had a bite to eat and then we caught the Mia Hansen Loaves new film I think it's Loaves um, because it's got that it's got the strike through the O but maybe it's Louvre um She's French. I, I pronounce it like it's Danish or something. But um, yeah, Mia Hansen Love, her new film, One Fine Morning, Un Beau Matin, was, yeah, wonderful. Loved it. Absolutely. I mean, I, I love her work anyway. And yeah, this felt like a, a kind of a, a return to the the tonal territory of things to come and the films before that except Eden, which is my favourite and sort of very much an outlier. But I haven't seen Maya and I haven't seen Bergman Island yet, so I'm not really sure where it fits in the whole thing, but it certainly feels like more sort of tonally linked to things like Father of My Children and Goodbye First Love. 
and it's got Leia Sadu, who gives an incredible performance. And yeah, just a really wonderful film about life being a bit shit. And it sort of made me think of the conversation I had with Hannah Strong about Sophia Coppola somewhere, you know. Um, life's just a bit shit for a lot of people. And this is a really beautiful, melancholy film that's all about performances and all about capturing life and and moments. Um, and I don't think there's many better than Leia do currently at doing that. So, yeah, well, well worth it. And I think it's a movie pickup as well. So they might have even helped produce it. They were certainly all over the opening opening credits. So that should be out at some point with them. I know they've got Bergman and coming soon. There was two weird moments in it, like really kind of odd decisions, which are sort of a bit jarring. But um, for the rest of it, it was it was wonderful. And yeah, I really I really loved it. Um, yeah, so that's it. It's another late one. That was a, that was a ten forty five start. So in the evening, so it's kind of about it's just gone one o'clock here, and I'm going to settle down to get ready for uh, some more movies tomorrow. Um, I have a friend here um, who I'm hoping to talk to as well on the podcast at some point, and um, I know I keep saying that there will be other people on it apart from me, and uh, she's trying to get us. Uh, two premiere tickets for the David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future on Monday night. Um, and she's the, yeah, she works in the Palais for the festival. So, fingers crossed for us, gang. Uh, let's let's see if we can get them. Send out your good energy. I know you won't have heard this, you won't have heard this before then, but uh, I want you to just feel that I'm, I need you out in the podcast ether and, and send me good vibes for a red carpet premiere. Uh, with Leia Sado again and Vigo and all of those amazing people in that what is surely to be the bonkers talking point of the festival so yes uh, but tomorrow <laughs> that's not on tomorrow so tomorrow I'm seeing a Sydney Lumet film which I haven't seen Visions of Eight which is in the Cannes classic Restored and then a film called uh, and and then something else at I think nine o'clock in the evening um, I can't even remember the name of it so, uh, but I'll remember it tomorrow um, and I'll talk to you about it then I'm making my way to the Palais to catch the Sydney Lumet restoration of Visions of Eight which is a film of his I've not seen so I'm very excited about that um, I'm trying to find a cup of coffee it's really hard to find a cup of coffee there's a lot of restaurants I'm not moaning, I didn't mean that to sound like a woe is me but it is Interesting that I cannot literally just find a coffee shop to get a cup of coffee. But I'm sure I will. Um, yeah, so quiet morning this morning. I went to a taping of a podcast because I'm a proper podcast nerd. Um, so Scott Feinberg, who runs the Award Chatter podcast, was doing a live taping for uh, his podcast. And it was with Leia Sidhu. An actress that you know I love because I've just talked about Mia Hansen Love's new film. And yeah, so it's just a really intimate. There's only like 20 people there. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just a lovely, lovely hour listening to her talk about her films and her process and her life. And yeah, it was just really lovely. And yeah, a really nice moment in a, in a lounge overlooking the sort of the, the entrances. Yeah, it was really nice. Um, I'm glad. I'm glad that I did it. So yeah, 
Um, and now I'm off to see this film. So I had a lovely breakfast this morning with my friend Annabelle from the BFI, who you may remember from the episode on comedy that we did uh, way back. Um, and that was lovely. I tried to get her on the podcast, but she, yeah, was a bit hesitant. Maybe because she said it was because she hadn't had coffee. So, um, yeah, I'm hopefully get her on the podcast because she's seen a couple of films that I think would be really interesting to sort of raise awareness of. So I'm hoping to meet her again and do that. But for now, it's me again, and I'm off to I'm off to find some coffee and see a movie. So I've been walking around for days saying that I'm going to see Sidney Lumet's Visions of Eight, which I assumed was a Sidney Lumet film I hadn't seen because in the program online and on the ticket it says Lumet, and it's not the name of the cinema because I saw it in the Bunuel cinema. So I assumed it was a Sidney Lumet film because it was where all of the um, director's names are. I now realise that maybe because it was just Lumet and not Sidney Lumet. Maybe Lumet in French means like various directors or something. Because Visions of Eight is a documentary about the Munich 1972 Olympics shot by eight different filmmakers. And it's, yeah, an extraordinary film. Uh, yeah, of its time, shall we say. In the fact that uh, women appear very... Uh, fleetingly in one section dedicated to them as if they you know were a special category at the Olympics all of all their own um, they also weirdly only appear in the losers uh, section which was shot by uh, Claude Lelouch the French filmmaker who was that was one of my favorite segments and uh, he introduced the film as well which was wonderful I didn't understand a word of it because I don't speak any French and they didn't have a translator but it was just lovely to see him there uh, for him to introduce it um, yeah, so he did a section focusing on those who lose at the Olympics. John Schlesinger does uh, one about the marathon, focusing on the marathon runner Ron Hill. Um, and it, that's the only segment that incorporates sort of footage and sort of context of the, the terrorist attacks uh, at the Olympic Village from 1972, uh, which is interesting in terms of mainly looking at the disruption to Ron's training really which is kind of interesting um konichikawa did the uh did a, a, a segment on the men's 100 meters and basically said that this the men's 100 meters is a symbol for the kind of the decrepit state of humanity in 1972 um modern man it's everything that's wrong with the world apparently uh it's fascinating uh, milos Forman does a weird kind of bavarian polka uh, yodeling kind of silly in sort of segment that sort of um, takes the decathlon and sort of yeah intercuts it with a kind of all these interesting traditional Bavarian musics um, and a very silly and does this wonderful piece of cutting between a um, between a sleeping steward and uh, yeah, sort of a building piece of, uh, sort of uh, classical music which works absolutely gloriously. It's a famous piece, but I can't remember which one. Uh, May Zetterling does a wonderful segment on weightlifters, which is really, really wonderful. Um, yeah, it's a really interesting piece of work. Arthur Penn does a fantastic segment on the high jump, uh, no, the pole vault, sorry. Um, yeah, it's, it's really, really interesting. I did not know it existed. Um, and like I said, I assumed it was a Sydney Lumet film. And Sydney Lumet doesn't even do one of the things. I mean, I've just complete, completely got the wrong end of the stick on that. So, but not to, 
not to worry because it was great um and yeah lovely to see claude lelouch introduce it um a real surprise complete surprise and yeah kind of one of the reasons that going to festivals can be so great Huh? Man's a great dancer. Orlando? Yeah. Cool. Alright, first say hello to Dario. Hello, hello Dario. Dario. <laughs> Are you in Bruges? I think he still is in Bruges, in Bruges. yeah. Are you drinking beer? Yeah. Yeah, I'm having a lovely time. We're having a lovely time too, Dario. We miss you very much. Um, We've added in all the sound effects of the sea and disco music. I'm yeah. just going to go for paddle. Lovely. So, whilst he's in the sea, um, so, oh, I had a great way to start it, I can't remember now. Um, oh yeah, no, I've got it, I've got it, I remembered. So, the last time you were on the podcast was for Radio One. Yeah. And now you've screened in the same programme as Radio One at Cannes. Yes. And you're heading back tomorrow, how are you feeling? Well, the Radio 1 thing's funny because I was asked to write a short statement about what it meant to be in Directors Fortnight before Directors Fortnight happened, so a couple of weeks ago. And I said a sentence like, um, it's a real honour, it would be a real honour to premiere the film here, considering the filmmakers, how many filmmaking heroes had premiered their work here before. And then I did a bit of research and I, I, and I said, for example, and then listed a few, and it got, the list got longer and longer and longer. So this sort of press statement became just basically a list of filmmakers who I liked. But as part of that research, I found out that Radio 1 premiered here, which I'd never realised that he'd been here and done that. So that was the final... Um, that was the circle complete. It made sense then. Yeah. But yeah, just amazing. Sort of stood on the beach looking over at the... Um, towards the theatre where... Where, it, where the film premiered on Friday it's underground so I can't actually see it but we yeah. can sense it from it, seem, it seems like we've been here weeks and we've only been here about two and a half days and again it's like one of those festivals like what happened in Berlin in 2019 it feels like things have sort of significantly changed again a bit you know yeah for sure yeah, yeah, yeah. can I just it, say that we're quite good at subterranean anyway we the are. cinema was subterranean the film is subterranean yeah that's a very good point and that's Mary. Hello, Mary. Hello. Hello, Dario. Hello. <laughs> it's oh. not just Dario that listens to the cinematologist. How was, how has Cam <laughs> been for you? Your your face has literally been everywhere. Have you enjoyed it in any way? I've had a brilliant time. It's only just this evening when I've had a bit of a dance that I've realised that um, that my face is everywhere. I, I hadn't really sort of sunk in till till then. Um, but it's been brilliant. It's been weird. We were sort of sleep deprived on the first day. The second day was sort of loads of things we had to attend. I had to sound intelligent and articulate. And uh, and then today was the first day that we could sort of relax. And then it really sunk in that we were here. And it's brilliant. What's it like being at a film festival and not seeing any films? It's, it's fine. I, I find it absolutely fine because I'm not in the right... I haven't got the concentration span to sit and watch a film. And I don't think I've even got the concentration span to read the program and decide to go and see something and then be able to get there under my own steam. Because the thing with being here is, that's brilliant if you've got a film is you, you don't have to think about anything. You've got people who take care of you every yeah. single second of the day. So we haven't spent any money. 
No. We haven't. We I have... had to buy some milk in the hotel to make myself a cup of tea. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Play me back. Yeah. <laughs> But then, yeah, but then the festival gave us a load of per diems as well. So we like going home oh, yeah. quids in, euros in. Sure. So it's, uh, I think being, it's, when we did the press day, I was just meeting these journalists one after another and I'd say, and we'd, I'd say to them, how's it going? They'd go, oh yeah, no, it's good. And, you know, it, oh, it's a bit of a nightmare. And I would just go, and I'm just sat in there in a chair having coffee and water brought to me all the time in front of a queue of journalists and just said, oh, why is it a nightmare? And they tell tell you what a what a hell it is if you're not sort of being looked after. So we're really in, as the as the as the cliche goes, we're really in a bubble here. Yeah. Um, and so not only is it a total honour and a privilege to be screening the film in in Kanzen, it's also totally easy. We've had premiere, who have been looking after our PR. So Chris, who's been looking after us, has just been absolutely incredible and I know all the stuff he's having to be doing and he's been going crazy sorting it all out behind the scenes but it's made it so enjoyable because we we have had to cram in a lot in two and a half days we we have had to do a lot and there's a lot more pressure on us this time because when in Berlin with bait there was no pressure because there was no expectation but here we've got we've got sales agents we've got the publicity people we've got both UK and US distributors who are, who are both here and have just and they and they were announced in the run up to the festival so it's been a crescendo of things and much I'd like to have said no to some of the press in terms of the time it took and have a bit more time off to sit on the beach it's it's what you've got to do in return for everything that they're doing for the film and doing for us I'm quite happy that I haven't seen any films yeah yeah why is that? I always find, I find festivals really stressful because you spend most of your time trying to meet up with people and missing them and then missing doing the things that you actually wanted to do. Um, and actually it was quite nice to... And there's a sort of sense that you have to be at a festival and you have to do the thing, which is go and see the thing that you're meant to be there to do. And actually it was quite, yeah, it was quite relief. Just go. We haven't got time for any of that. Yeah, I, I think at other smaller festivals, what I found was that you'd, you'd most nights you'd have a dinner or a lunch with all the other filmmakers, so you'd meet them and then you'd chat about films and then you would agree sort of to go and see each other's films with each other. But this is far too big and spread out for that to happen here. So I haven't even I haven't met any other filmmakers even. So I think if I bumped into filmmakers and then you know, and, and maybe had more of a chance to find out who was doing what and which which films were here. I would have, you know, being here for longer, I would have I would have seen stuff. But can I say that you're talking as someone that went on the festival circuit with Bait, and so your your idea is yeah, interacting with other directors and and I'm I'm sort of looking at as it from a sort of a punter, a layperson who usually. So we've got, I suppose, because of what you just talked about, meeting people and meeting other directors and having conversations and talking about the same films, as a sort of a layperson or somebody who generally just haven't done the festival circuit, it's a very, I think it's a very different thing. Yeah. Because yeah. we've got, we're, we're sort, we're lacking, we're sort of missing two very different things. You're missing talking to people about film and, and connecting with people, about, and I'm sort of. Quite relieved about 
Also, in festivals stuff. I've been to with bait, I was often on my own. And so actually going to see a film was a way of, you know, if you're quite introverted and, a, and, and maybe a bit shy, going, to, to, talk to, going to a film was a good <laughs> yeah. way of, you know, if there was some sort of get-together that I didn't quite have the energy to do, I'd go and watch a film. And also, as a, as a non-drinker, quite often I'd duck out of the evening do's quite early and, and go and watch a film and, maybe, and end up going and watching a late-night film with, with a load of other in, introverted teetotalers. But because I'm here and we've got a bit of an entourage with us, then we're not, you know, I'm not doing that. I'm just hang, ultimately hanging out with friends. It's been brilliant, hasn't it? On, on the beach, you know. And, and it's, yeah, we're not stuck in the middle of a city. Yeah. We're, there's loads of open space, the whole seafront here. Yeah. So, yeah, and it's sitting in a dark room, much as so I wouldn't like to discourage people from going to see films, I, I'm not... I'm not in the right mind for it at the moment. I know you dropped Entourage in there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we are the Entourage. We've established I'm Johnny Drama, which is fine. Uh, I'll take it. Um, and but, Kingsley's... Um, who am I then, Mary? Who am I? You're E. Okay. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. There we go. Is that, is, that's the, 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 friend. the manager. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and we've established Kingsley's Lloyd. Yeah. Which is very upset about. Which is Lloyd? Ari's assistant. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, just it. And I'm Billy Walsh. Oh, lovely. <laughs> lovely. Oh, um, uh, and Joe's Gary Busey. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah. yeah, I mean. And it, Eric Roberts. Uh, yeah, all of, all of those wild men. Um, so, yeah, I've caught you just before you go. You're leaving first thing in the morning. Yeah. It feels really exciting. Like, it feels like people are. They're excited about the film and they're coming towards it, you know, and they're, they're sort of taking it seriously in a really lovely way. You know, does it feel exciting knowing that, does it feel like a springboard for something that's, that is, is new and, you know, that you're kind of looking forward to? Yeah, it, it, it's difficult because it, here in this context, in this reality, it feels great and it feels appropriate and everybody's here and everybody's talking about films and everybody's talking about films that might be difficult and challenging which I think our film falls into that category it'll be it would be interesting to see what happens and how they market the film how it's rolled out what kind of release it has where it gets released first what the what are the festivals it's going to premiere in that's and that you, it's a barrage of conversations that we're having here at the moment about what's going to happen with the film and in this environment that seems totally normal yeah. it will seem more like there's something happening once we're back to our normal lives and we're back in Cornwall and you know I'm taking calls and getting emails about where we've got to go and you know where it's going to be released first and stuff and it's, it, again it'd be like Berlin you know it'd be, it'll be on the train on the way home where we'll sit there and go right well that was that was that was good. Now what's you know? Now we've got to look forward to what comes after that. Because th- who's it does... making the tea? <laughs> yeah, very important. Yeah, and have we got? Is there enough cat food when we get home? Yeah, things like that. And is the Isaac going to put milk in the fridge? So it, so it, yeah. Once you get back to reality, then the what's happened here will become weirder, more significant, and and we'll, I think we'll get a sense of how. Yeah, what's what's going to happen with the film? What, how big a, how big of a deal it's going to be for us, and what we're doing next? Well, I look forward to that. Thanks for 
yeah, spending a few minutes with me on your last night and have a safe trip home. Thank Pleasure. You. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, Neil. We're into the evening on the last day that I'm here at the festival and I'm just leaving my apartment. I'm walking back into the centre of Cannes, so you'll hear a lot of traffic as I go through. It's, uh, yeah, so it's sort of about six o'clock on Monday evening and I've not checked in for a while. You've just heard from uh, Mary Woodvine and Mark Jenkin, who uh, both should be familiar to listeners of the podcast. Mark certainly, Mary maybe not so much, but certainly will be after Ennis Main is released, I'm sure. And yeah, they've gone back today and yeah, I've had a really relaxing day. Well, I say relaxing, I watched one film which was completely absorbing and exhilarating and debilitating. <laughs> exhilarating and debilitating it was the new film from Lucien Castang-Taylor and Verena Paravel who are the team behind Leviathan which I'm a huge fan of, the documentary about the whaling boat made by the Harvard made by the Harvard uh, I always get the name wrong, multi-ethnosensor multi-sensory ethnography lab and yeah that that lab was the model really and the inspiration for the sound image cinema lab project that i lead at falmouth university in my role as a res as an associate professor and uh it's a new name for an old practice and you'll see the name on the front of ennis main it's the reason i'm here in Cannes, really is uh, we're a production partner on the film and yeah, I've been sort of talking to people all weekend, really, that I've been here about the lab and what we do. And, yeah, it's been a really interesting time to be here with a film and to talk about what the lab is and how it interacts with Mark's work and how it works as a teaching project, as a research project, and a kind of core part of the Cornish film landscape. So that's been really nice, and I've just had a meeting earlier with the the lead curator of um, the lead curator of contemporary narrative feature films, contemporary narrative and feature films at the BFI archive, which is Caitlin Smith, about Mark's archive and the Sound Image Cinema Lab archive, which includes my own film Wilderness, which I'm delighted to say will be going into the BFI National Archive, which is. Very nice indeed. Um, so yeah, it's been a good, it's been a good weekend for the the Sound Image Cinema Lab and Cornish Film. Beyond Mark's obvious success, but yes, the film I watched earlier was yes, um, the new film from Castang Taylor and Paravel, and I think I'm forgetting the name of it, and I'm walking, so it's hard to remember. I think it's uh, the Fabric of Human life uh, Unhuman Fabrica Corporis it's uh, something like that I butchered it horribly and I apologise the real title will be in the show notes but uh, it's a yeah poetic abstract expressionistic matter of fact portrait of life in modern medicine really so it's across several ho hospitals in Paris and it's intricate surgery and intimate care and it's these short portraits of 
different aspects of medical practice. But it's really, if you've seen Leviathan, kind of aesthetically pushing the boundaries of how what we know about those things and how we see them. So we go inside a brain for brain surgery. We go inside an eye for eye surgery. No tricks, no CGI. Um, Utilising the medical camera equipment on hand and then just getting as close as is humanly possible, pardon the pun, to the acts of surgery and, yeah, there's a caesarean section, there's prostate cancer surgery, there's post-op breast analysis following uh, breast removal for breast cancer. Um, Yeah, there's some time in a morgue, there's time on a on a ward for those with severe mental health and memory and brain problems and yeah it's it's harrowing but it's also incredible and hopeful and joyous in terms of the what's capable of being done to keep human beings in the world to bring human beings into the world and to care for them after they've gone it's also a kind of humbling reminder of what we are, this kind of machine of matter, and how how this kind of an infinite ocean of stuff inside us that we just have no concept of. The film inspired so many walkouts, like with every section, you sort of could tell people's tolerance for what they wanted to see, you know. Like, it's cesarean, nope. Eye surgery, like needle going into an eyeball, nope. You know, uh, needle into a brain. Nope. Prostate being removed. Nope. <laughs> Just like w- walking out with when people's kind of visceral limits were reached, um, which was uh, interesting. The film's also really funny, and that's, you know, there's this kind of gallows humour that goes along with working in this life, and there are so many, yeah, sort of strange moments of banality that are really funny in juxtaposition with what the people are doing while they're talking and frustrations boil over in quite humorous ways and yeah it's it's a really incredible piece of work um i don't see it getting the same release as leviathan it doesn't have a kind of coherent aesthetic poeticism in the same way and it's much more invasive and literally and in, t- in terms of what people can will tolerate so i'm not sure what the release will be but if you can ever see it then you really should and i know well, to, to help that out i'll probably get the title right at least in the next recording so yeah i'm off to meet up with kingsley who i'm here with for our final final evening it doesn't look like we're going to get into the cronenberg that's the hot ticket so there'll be no red carpet premiere at the palais lumiere for neil and now you can cry, you can cry, cry for me, fans. <laughs> no, it's, uh, I look forward to seeing that film when it lands. There was a novelty aspect of trying to see a film in the big room and do a red carpet premiere, especially on the last night with the last film, but it doesn't look like it's going to be. So we're going to go and see a film and director's fortnight, the Super Eight, My Super 8 Years, uh, which is a kind of, yeah, archive film on Super 8 with uh, directed by Annie Arnaud and someone else who I can't remember Annie Arnaud is the author who wrote Happening, the Audrey Dewan film which was recently released so I'm really curious to see that and I think that would be a nice 
end to our viewing festivities before we get a flight back tomorrow. So yeah, I shall check in in a bit. So over the course of the past few days, I've kept, I've kept saying we are going here and we are going there and we've done this and we've done that, but I haven't really said who the we is. So officially welcome to the Can podcast, <laughs> Kingsley. Hello Kingsley. Thanks Neil. So we're at the airport, ready to go home. Been a crazy few days. It definitely has, yeah. What an amazing place, an amazing festival. And a, a whirlwind of people and um, kind of experiences, I guess, of, of this festival, which feels so different to others that I've been to. And we both travelled to Berlin, and this is, it's, has its similarities. And there's a massive film market, and there's a lot of business being done. But it, it happens in a real concentrated centre in, in Cannes just by essentially by the beach uh, in a festival center and it, it's strange because you're absolutely surrounded by film business and creatives and distributors um, sales agents and and actors and critics. filmmakers <laughs> and critics yeah and, it, and it's been great and it just um, even after a couple of days here walking down the street and bumping into people so you know we were having dinner the other day and someone we'd met earlier in the day uh, was just walking by and kind of shouting across the street and that's where the interesting conversations happen those five or ten minutes of just catching people between their other stuff and I think because our uh, a lot of our work had been done on Friday and Saturday I guess it's been slightly easier for us than the rest of the Ennis main crew in that we've been able to see some movies, <laughs> which has been a lot of fun. And then the people that you meet there are really interesting as well, that you're you're just sat with a, I watched a movie yesterday with a French audience in French, I don't speak French, but I, I kind of, it was a joy. You know, you're out in the suburb somewhere um, with a crowd of people who are, you know, proportionally I'm sure are press and, and whatever, but a lot of people who just love going to the cinema and they were generationally with kind of this wild differential between um, teenagers and, and younger kids and right up to kind of grandparents there with their families. And I love that, that it's a, I thought it'd be quite exclusive, but once you're beyond the corset, it's it's very inclusive kind of thing. The whole town becomes a film town for a, for a week or so, which is brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and like you sort of said there, yeah, we, sort of, we did our, our duty uh, um, that we were here for on the Friday mainly, um, and then managed to see some stuff across the across the few days. So what has piqued your interest? You, I did want, to, did want you to sort of mention that After Sun, which was one of the the, sort of the key fest, or key festival titles that we've sort of come across, particularly from a British perspective. Yeah, so we, we were both chopping and changing tickets. The ticketing's been very challenging, but one, once you're here, it seemed to get easier. So something had happened in the system. And I'd read uh, about After Sun, so it premiered maybe the day before, and I could get a ticket in the afternoon in one of these kind of um, slightly suburban cinemas. It's a, a really odd, uh, very small art centre uh, run by a little crowd, and it was it was really nice. And everybody kind of walking down from the centre of Cannes, it's a, maybe a kilometre or so away, uh, was all going to this theatre. And everyone walking back uh, after the movie, um, it was nice to walk back on my own with my own thoughts. And it's it's a it's a father daughter story. It's um, they go on holiday, which is, you know, it's in the sunshine, and I'm here in Cannes watching it in a in a in a cool cinema. But the it it, it does all the things that independent cinema should do. It's it's challenging. It's about family. It's about people being smart. You know, the the, the young 
actor in it is amazing and the, the, the script is so real and resonates with so many things of, of your life experience that it, it really landed with a lot of people and it's not uh, pretentious or fancy and in its form it, it's relatively straightforward but the 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 characters, the relationships between this father and son are, uh, father and daughter rather, are absolutely astonishing. And that they, you just buy it straight away within the first minute, you buy into it. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful movie, and it, I guess it will drop in the in the autumn. I think it's been picked up by movie. Yeah, that's I think, right. On yeah. the day that we, <laughs> we saw that, because a friend of ours was really interested in that film, and he kind of operates in that space. Uh, but the deal had been done in the afternoon after the premiere, and it's it, it's interesting seeing that, isn't it? That you're here. These movies are premiering often with cast or crew around um, and then the deals are being announced either on the day or, the, or sometimes the next day yeah. and that that's wonderful isn't it that that filmmaker um, their debut championed in this, this amazing festival people are talking about it and the buzz is very immediate we've met a few journalists where um, they're dropping reviews like within an hour someone said yesterday that they were writing up copy uh, for a film that had premiered uh, and unfortunately, the journalists hosting the Q and A couldn't write their copy quick, kind of quick enough. Yeah. So people are that quick to it. You're talking an hour or an hour and a half after a screening, which is amazing, really, yeah. because then people immediately in the, the bars and the cafes and, and around the croissette are talking about those movies. And After Sun was one of those. And I think it sits it sits slightly outside of some of the other things I've seen and, and that we've seen together. Um, but it's it's a great it's a great. British Scottish film yeah. um, with terrific performances, really beautiful script, and uh, uh, really, I've seen a lot of films with where the endings are right in my alley. <laughs> in that they're unresolved, they ask questions, and I was recounting part of. There's a moment in After Sun, so the father and daughter go away, and at the end of it, he says, "Have we had a good? Have you had a good holiday?" To his daughter, and she says, "I have had a good holiday." It's such a simple line, yeah. but it's dealt with in such Sincerity, it really puts puts the hairs up on the back of my neck, and I was saying to someone about it, and almost like crying with the line because <laughs> yeah. of the film, which is great. Lovely. Anything else you wanted to mention? I saw Falcon Lake yesterday, the movie in French. Uh, we don't need to speak French to <laughs> watch it or understand subtitles. That's cinema. That's cinema. Again, really, it's a coming of age story. It's about two kids um, in Canada, um, and there's a few Canadian filmmakers around uh, Canada at the moment. Um, and it just, uh, yeah, it, la it landed with me. I thought it was really great. And a, and a movie, felt like a movie of my childhood, like an 80s film about two kids. The, the adults are totally on the periphery of it um, and are really uninteresting. Anyone over, there's a guy who's 19 in the film, always plays 19, he's uninteresting too because the story is about this 16-year-old uh, young woman and a, a slightly younger um, uh, boy. Um, and they're, at the, again, at the centre of the story, astonishing performances, amazing um, uh, direction. And, and again, the story and the location is super indie, a nice ambiguous ending, uh, maybe ambiguous, uh, but it, yeah, that would be a, another tip for me. But I, I haven't seen a bad film, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. Six, six, seven movies, um, started with Ennis, obviously, which, which I love, but, but other films as well. We saw One Fine Morning together. We did, which um, was fab. Which was an absolute cracker. I'm sure you've talked about that uh, already. Um, and a, yeah, a couple of other things, a couple of docs. It's been a, a really great experience. And it, it's funny reading some of the press because people say, "No, it's not. This is not a you know top draw can." All right. I wonder what that means because we're we're not kind of 
we haven't been done any red carpet films and we've talked to some people involved in some of those but I think for indie cinema I'm, I was quite surprised I've got yeah. to say quite surprised not just in Directors Fortnight but in the general programming that there is some really great uh, first or second features new filmmakers that I've not heard of and the ticketing forces you into that a little bit that you're kind of you get what you get and you go along. I saw a movie, um, a Japanese film called Plan 75. I didn't know a thing about it, but it was the first screening I saw on uh, Saturday morning after the premiere. Um, a really touching movie about uh, assisted dying and about society and young and older people's relationship with one another. And although that's a crisis point in some countries around the world, it's certainly evident everywhere, I think, as people live longer and, and medical care get, gets better that this implication of older people being a burden. And I, I wasn't sure about the film, the first 20 minutes, it was all the exposition happens really in the first 10 minutes. There's a new story running and it kind of, it blasts you with this information. But the following hour and a half is so sensitively dealt with of four characters contending with their place in this assisted dying program. Um, two old, older people, uh, and two younger people who are involved or employed by the government to, to kind of work it, but it, but it's not, um, it's not a apocalyptic dystopian movie. It's absolutely full of hope and about personal responsibility. And that movies like that, if a movie shifts your worldview a bit, that's that's what I'm about. And this movie has really made me think. Um, so that would be a, a, another tip. But like I say, I haven't seen a bad film, so that's, that bodes well, right? Indeed. So, last question. Would you come back? Love to come back. I've already said to the Airbnb we were staying, <laughs> uh, hopefully I'll come back next year. Um, it's, what's been amazing is coming with a film, and that is such a odd experience, wild experience, and uh, the people we've travelled with have been, have been extremely inclusive, and, and are the distributors and the production companies again super inclusive in, and giving so you felt like on that first day certainly we had access to all the stuff that you read about um, and kind of understand can to be but subsequent to that the last four days have been brilliant and I think if you were uh, if you just love movies I'd highly recommend come to Cannes buy yourself a, a ticket uh, go to the public screenings everything's available every day pretty much um, and certainly in the latter days of the festival once that first opening weekend was out of the way where a lot of the business happens it's, it's really inclusive and these these provincial cinemas I'd been to or these kind of suburban cinemas we went to a both went for different films to a multiplex about 20 minutes out of the town um, the, the, it's it's regular people who love cinema so I, I think it's a great place to go and what a what a destination <laughs> it's been roasting art uh, you're on the beach and and also that that thing where you know as a, as a as a consumer if you get two or three streets back from the crossette it, there's a regular town there doing regular stuff so it's not massively expensive if you can get through the accommodation hoop uh, and you can travel here with a, you know good good connections by train uh, as well as air I'd, I'd highly recommend it and I think I had to, I did have a preconception of it being not as open to the public as Berlin uh, or London Film Festival or all these you know aesthetic or whatever but actually um, it's a, a real delight and the, the access is there so I'd, I'd highly recommend it and I, I'd really like to come back in um, early June next year with my wife Get, I wouldn't do the opening weekendy bit but it's certainly the second half of the festival just to come and watch movies and hang out in a beautiful place uh, with really kind generous people we've met so many nice people around um, and then you know engage with the industry bits as, as you want to if, if you wanted to do that
But travelling with a film would be my recommendation. Always. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, yeah. Thanks for thanks for the last few days. It's been a really fun time, and thanks for coming on the pod. And let's get home. Yeah, let's get home. So coming out of that, Neil, maybe you could talk a little bit about, um, you know, the you said there that, that you thought that a lot of the critics were harried and, and what have you. And it's, it doesn't seem, I mean, you know, critics are always under the cosh. And when I've been at Berlin, it's always just surprised me how many critics are there kind of on their own dime and, you know, and trying to sort of moot stories to publications that haven't said yes. You know what I mean? And it's all just, it's it all seems incredibly stressful at, at, at Berlin. Um, and you know we, we've talked before about how we're glad we're not on any kind of deadline and we can kind of in a very privileged position of seeing the films that we want to f- see and not having to you know focus on competition or, or the big auteurs or whatever it might be but I don't know was there any was there a, why was that was it even worse than than you'd expected or what was the reason behind it in your in your mind it's it's weird isn't it because you know Cannes, Berlin, Venice you know sort of like the big three festivals um are almost kind of like sort of seen i mean program wise Cannes is sort of seen as a part but they're sort of seen as sort of very quite similar but berlin and Cannes are very very different you know like berlin is mu- actually much more relaxed you know as a festival certainly um the sense of the the importance of everything is is kind of more in tune with what what it actually is which is a film festival you know there is something there was something about being there where everything feels massively heightened and everything feels like there's so much at stake and and really there is you know like there is a lot at stake for critics trying to be the first people to write about a film on the at the biggest film festival in the world sure. you know a lot of those films they're screening for the first time so there's huge pressure on those films to try and get good reviews and get a good audience reaction some of them are trying to be sold you know so there's huge pressure on them you know getting a good reception and then getting a deal to actually go out into the world and i think there's a couple of films that i saw that i don't know if, i don't know if they'll play anywhere else you know they're in the uk you know uh, by named filmmakers as well you know it's not it's not as simple as like you play it can you play everywhere else and that was kind of interesting um mm. so it just felt like a real pressure cooker you know um and the ticketing is is weird you know it's it's kind of like it feels obstinate you know when you kind of look at that Thierry Frameau interview that never got put out you know that Deadline wrote about I don't know if you saw that where Deadline sort of wrote an article no I didn't see that just explain so Deadline Andreas Wiseman at Deadline wrote an article about an interview that he couldn't put out with Thierry Frameau so he did this interview and then the, the festival asked to to copy it and make sure that it was factually correct um and then redacted a load of stuff about female filmmakers about Polanski and like you know you know so it's obviously quite controversial um right and then so that so deadline refused to run this article because they were like it's not the article it's not the interview that we did you know so much as we're not allowed to say um sure but there's that kind of obstinacy of like well we can you know we'll we can do what we yeah. want we'll do what yeah, we want yeah. everyone will still keep coming everyone you know market the market will still be busy 
people are still sell films the critics still still come audiences still come we don't need to do anything you know we don't need to make a ticking system that works <laughs> we don't need to include people right. we don't we can just keep going as we are and people are going to shout and moan but they're still going to come and everyone said it was really quiet compared to normal but it, it felt it felt <laughs> felt pretty busy to me so there is this sense of it kind of being an island on its own that you know it made it quite voyeuristic you know and in a not in a not in a bad mm. way but certainly my privileged position was like just observing what was going on and, and finding some of it really like for, as an independent filmmaker trying to <laughs> i'm just like for what this dinner cost you could have you could have we, i could have made a feature film for that right um, okay it's just ridiculous it is ridiculous yeah. you know but but there's also this weird side where you know you do get to see the good the good people you know like kind of like berlin you know you get to meet the people that are trying to do good work at all at all levels you know so good publicists good curators good programmers good fund um good people in funding good, you know like there's they're all there everyone's there so you, you kind of have to wade through the madness but that there is good stuff to be found and you know being on a beach with people with friends <laughs> on the croisette you know talking about movies and thanks to Ennis Main, a lot of the talk was about movies because it inspires a, a cinema conversation um was was really nice so there's this kind of duality which is quite weird and certainly leaves you that's what leaves you tired i think is that there's so many headspaces to occupy which is a privileged thing but it, it there's a real toll on having having to move around and talk to people really quickly um and it's not a woe is me thing at all but it is there's a reality and you can sort of see why critics who are trying to get into a screening you know they've sort of maybe pitched somewhere that but the pitch is reliant on them getting in and they don't know if they're going to get in you know like right um is that because there's just they just have to wait in line until there's space rather than there is a sort of press number or something like that that they can just go straight in kind of yeah thing. if they don't get if they don't get in the the make the first allocation um they have right. to kind of you know try or then or if they don't get in then they have to try and find something else you know and, and they're trying to pitch it after they've seen yeah. it and there's so, so there isn't the there. big press only screenings like the, 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 there isn't the big press only screenings like there are in berlin i mean sometimes you know i've been queuing for quote unquote press screenings and i thought i'll never get in here and then you get in easily and there's loads of space because the, the cinemas are massive they don't put those on in camp they right? do um but there's just so right. many press and so many accredited okay. you know there's so many people accredited press like from around the world you know it's and the cin like i don't think i don't know because i didn't go in the main press screening room in the palais but the um the main sort of the main palais lumiere is where they have the the, the competition premieres and um that's the big room um so i'm not sure how big the main press room is but but not it's not like the palast at berlin you know it's thousands right. of you know where you can easily fit everyone who wants to see that film at the first so and there's just less pressure as well i think at berlin i think it's a different kind of program you know where you know like there is still a, a pressure on it but certainly didn't feel as pressured as it did here um so i just kind of left people alone that i didn't want to reach out and be like do you still want to meet because you could sort of yeah, see yeah, from yeah, their yeah. profile no, that they it. were trying and then you know um see sort of seeing a three-hour film writing a 500 600 800 word review which might take two hours and then going straight back into another three hour film. Like people just get in this yeah, headspace. It is tiring, you know, and it's, it's a headspace yeah, yeah, thing yeah, yeah. of they just want to, they want to sort of bed down and then sort of let go at the end of the day, which I completely understand. Um, so yeah, it was yeah, interesting, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I do thank John 
for we had a lovely lunch and then he did a little chat which was which was really nice uh and obviously mark and mary and kingsley for yeah again because yeah, yeah. uh everyone was a bit wiped out when i spoke to them for sure brilliant so what was the the one film that you wanted to point out i know you, you've spoken about a few but maybe you could just sort of say to finish off what what you know what was your one takeaway you think yeah that that is what a cinematologist's audience would want to would want to watch oh that's a good question um so the well i think it's probably split between two the mia hansa love um is wonderful and i met uh, jason wood from the bfi who's been on the podcast before and and he said i feel like she's made that film before and i was like yeah she has but I have no problem with that. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of like it's very French. It's very you know, it's very melancholy. Lea Sadu is wonderful in it. Um, but it's just you know another one of those films where you just like this is you're just in good hands. You know, you're just in the hands of someone who knows what they're What's doing. What's the title of that? Sorry, that's called One Fine Morning in Beaumatin. Right. Okay. Um, and yeah, it's 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 probably I think I, th- I think kind of most similar to like Things to Come. You know. Um, in terms of the sort of the the flow of different narratives around the central character trying to work out what the hell they're doing with their with their life kind of thing um and yeah that was really lovely and also the, a film that i'm not sure will will come here which is the patricio guzman um film uh, yeah. my imaginary country which is yeah kind of extraordinary and it's the one film that sort of now i'm back has kind of stuck with me the most you know there's, yeah. there's something about his filmmaking i just absolutely adore and you know I saw the pearl button in Berlin and that never got released here. So it's, 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 and I think it's a film that would be really important for us to see in this country, given that protest has recently been outlawed, you know, that this is a film about, this is a film about a country that has changed in the last couple of years because of youth protest, sustained, angry youth protest, and also, and also women, you know, women Mm. finally saying, enough is enough and sort of downing the tools of the matriarchy until things change and you know they've rewritten their the country's constitution because of because of this action you know and the dictator the second dictatorship in a row is is no more and it's such a beautiful film that feels hopeful despite you know these incredibly brutal scenes of of uh, of uprising um but he just has that way you know of 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 just being a really you know and i sort of said there that, that, that there's so much going on that is just felt which i you know i just I, I loved it and i really hope it gets i hope really hope it gets some kind of wider release um and also yeah just to note at the end that i i didn't talk about it i didn't sort of do a recording for it um because i saw it quite, i saw it very late on on our last night which was uh the super the super eight years by annie arno annie arno and her son david and Annie, I know, has sort of been in cine, cinema news recently because she wrote the book Happening that Audrey Dewan made the, the film about, about abortion in France. And that was a sort of right. semi-autobiographical story. Um, but this is, yeah, that after after her ex-husband, David's father, died, they they went through these old Super 8 f- films that, that they'd shot in the s- mid-70s to early 80s in sort of a period where her two sons were where her two sons were sort of moving from sort of late childhood into early teen teenager but also where she was starting to become a writer and it's sort of it's a she she sort of narrates this really beautiful poetic 
remembrance of that time over the top of this incredible footage um and it's just yeah really interesting very restrained take on change you know how a family changes how a person changes and how how those kind of really big steps that we make as people particularly as when we're adults can take years to really unfurl you know so it's a it's a it's a series of small things that that lead her from being a mother with sort of long writing ambitions into a a writer um uh, of, of renown and 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 uh um and a mother still obviously and it's about an hour and it's just a really you know and I, I saw four of the six films i saw were french um and they were very french actually no sorry for uh three of the fil- three of the six films i saw were french and they were very french um and four were on film so this was you know this was another one that was was shot on film so it was nice to spend some time with some with some films so yeah i just wanted to mention that because i didn't mention it in the main in the main diary but yeah, yeah a nice way to end the festival screening wise nice nice yeah i really hope i get to see the guzman i mean i think you know from way back at the beginning of the podcast that was one filmmaker and i think if we did if we ever did a kind of top 10 or of cinematologists films do you know what i mean rather than our personal mm. favorites probably nostalgia for the light would be on that list i would say for sure um, for sure yeah um but yeah to, to the fact that we don't see more of that filmmaker or it's not he's not talked about more than he is is you know it's difficult to know why when you consider you know we we talk a lot about Inaritu or uh, you know um, Alfonso Cuaron or Del Toro you know I mean obviously they're making big budget mainstream dramas but yeah the the Guzman and um, and Pablo Lorraine I think are are our two go to (laughs) sort of go to South American filmmakers i i would say rather than though the the other big three you know what i mean that's the di- that's the difference of this podcast for sure yeah we're we're team we're team chile they're team mexico <laughs> yeah that's true but yeah, yeah it's I interesting as well, wanna, isn't i mean it? <laughs> sorry i just don't don't want to kind of you know organically lump all south american directors into one category of course but you know what we i mean would, it's yeah. uh yeah it's uh it, those two filmmakers, I think the Chilean, the Chilean connection is is what we're into. <laughs> we're all about that. But it's interesting, like you say there, because I think that in an era of kind of subjective documentary, you know, where the the filmmaker is much, we're much more readily accepting of filmmakers inserting themselves in the story. No one does it better than him, I don't think. You know, like he he really yeah. there's so much deafness to all the different perspectives on top of his own, which I think is remarkable. So. Yeah, he's definitely someone who should be talked about more in in a, in a variety of ways, for sure. Brilliant. Well, congratulations on that, Neil. Um, well done for getting round Cannes and surviving the experience. Um, I, got, I got my badge. Great work I survived Cannes. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, put it on the t-shirt. Um, so we have got a bonus upcoming, but it's not me and Neil. I'm actually going to have a, a drink and watch um, a film with Mary Wilde from Projections Podcast this weekend. So a bonus. Hopefully we'll come out of that um, and we'll tell you what film we're going to see in, you know, when we record it. Um, but yeah, great, Neil. Great to talk to you. Glad, you. glad you're back in one piece and I look forward to, um, yeah, thinking about what our next episode is, which I don't know what it, what, it, what it is yet. I haven't got anything specific lined up until later on, but maybe we can do another hour, just you and me and, and, uh, and, and talking about movies, I went to see uh, I went to see Top Gun Maverick last night. So, 
Okay. Got that to talk about. Um, Great. You know, the cruiser was at Cannes, obviously, very famously at the, at the beginning, but it's very entertaining, very well made, and very, very silly. <laughs> no, like, I mean, I can't, I can't remember yeah. the, the, the first one being as silly, but maybe, you know, maybe that was it, just the 80s. You know I mean? And I was, <laughs> I was a kid then, yeah. you know? <laughs> and everything was silly. Yeah, yeah, yeah kind of. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, I look forward to hearing more about that for sure. Yeah, no, I, I think that sounds nice. Yeah, because we don't really have anything lined up, and we've had some nice responses to people just saying they like us talking. So yeah, yeah, maybe that would be a good way of good way of filling the gap. Lovely. So um, yeah, thank you to our audience for your continued support. This has been the Cinematologist Podcast. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.